0: Amen. The Lord is faithful. We rejoice that his mercies are new every morning. If you would please, maybe turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, just to begin, and then we'll move our way over to Colossians chapter 4. Matthew 5, for a moment. just want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to preach once more and to gather in fellowship with you both, well, with you all, pardon me. It is a joy to to rejoice and to praise the Lord with like-minded Christians. It's a blessing to sing, it's a blessing to to open the Scriptures with you also. Um, This morning, if you weren't able to be here with us for the first session, we talked a little bit about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the Lord rekindling their hearts with a flame and a burning desire that led them to go back to Jerusalem and proclaim the risen Lord. And we're going to take that thought and develop it a little more this morning from Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae, where we'll move in a moment. But just before we get there, let's read Matthew 5, verse 13 through to 16. Matthew 5, verse 13, "'Ye are the salt of the earth, "'but if the salt have lost his savour, "'wherewith shall it be salted? "'It is thenceforth good for nothing, "'but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. "'Ye are the light of the world.'" a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our saving, our Saviour. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the purpose that you've called us to thank you that you have a a task left for us and that is to take a message of grace to a lost world to shine as lights on a candlestick or as a city on a hill that the world about us may behold our good works and glorify god i pray that our burning heart our zeal having communed with the lord would manifest itself in a bright light a glorious light as you work in each one of us we pray for the church here in clarence valley we pray that you would cause this church these believers to be a light on a hill lord that the lost of the community would see christ in them lord many would come to know you as their savior that there would be a great turning to you here in Grafton and that your name may be exalted and lifted up. Lord, we thank you for the task that you've left us and I pray that you would help, enable, empower, direct, open doors and help us to walk through them faithfully as we seek to live for you and shine um, brightly for your glory. We pray that you would speak through your word. May your spirit take the scriptures and apply them to our hearts. Lord, we ask for you to illuminate, to guide and direct our thoughts. Pray that you would give me the words to say as a a preacher and that you would hide me behind the cross, that we would rejoice and praise you, Lord, for your goodness, for your word. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know how often you think about yourself as a lighthouse, it's not a common thought in my mind, but as I read these verses, it comes to mind the the lighthouse on a rocky cliff shining a light out to cross the sea to warn those in danger of impending doom and, and as a Christian that's our task is it not to shine in such a way and to share a message to warn others of the danger that they approach we have a mission and you as a church like we do up north have a mission to shine to preach to magnify the Lord in our communities to allow the burning within to be bright without but if you miss the burning within your bright without becomes legalism if you don't have a love burning within you and all it is is about keeping rules brothers and sisters the world out there will see straight through you They'll see it and they will not hear your words of wording <laughs> words of warning let's try and get them out I don't know whether you've ever had the joy here at Grafton of sending out a missionary. Have you? What a blessing. I'm praying for an opportunity somewhere up this, you know, for us at Springwood to do just that, to to be involved in sending out missionaries. We praise the Lord that we can support people in foreign fields and their endeavours to serve the Lord wherever the Lord's called them to, and we do. And and like you do, you would have a missions program where you you pray and you give and support in whatever way you can. But it's a blessing seeing people preparing for the mission field. Have you had that joy? Perhaps people preparing for the mission field would go through certain practices. Maybe they pray fervently to determine the will of the Lord. That would be a wise thing to do, wouldn't it? You wouldn't up and go to Burma because you think it's a good idea unless the Lord says go. So you pray. And then perhaps because you know it's serious you might even fast and pray. And there's something I don't think I do nearly often enough. Fast and pray maybe you would spend some consecrated time in the Word of God just to really seek the face of your God and and make sure you're walking in close fellowship my voice does this sometimes, I apologise walking in close fellowship with Him before you make that decision to go so you look at people preparing for the mission field and you think, wow, that's a really a spiritual exercise they're undertaking preparing for this task, but the truth is we're all on the mission field and we all ought to be going through similar process we all ought to be praying fervently fasting and praying for those around us that don't know the lord we should be spending our time in the word and making sure we're in that close fellowship and that burning heart is is on fire for the lord his glory and people oh for the the burden that we must have over a single soul you know the what comes to mind just now jesus when he looked out of Across the mixed multitude you know when they came out to him in the wilderness and the disciples looked out at that mixed multitude following and they saw a burden and a problem and jesus looked out with compassion and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd oh for a heart like that you know that you look out there and you see people that need the shepherd and it moves us and we we respond with a bold proclamation of the gospel wouldn't it be good if we could see our role as a lighthouse lighthouses of the Lord burning within burning brightly without let's turn over to Colossians please Colossians chapter 4 Uh, and we're going to jump in a little bit I, I trust you you understand what's going on in the book of Colossians we'll we'll take up what Paul has to say to this church here in chapter 4 verse 2 and really what he's doing here is encouraging those believers perhaps those whom he'd never met the impression I get is that he hadn't been to the church at Colossae at this point And he's writing to them and he's encouraging them to have a a mind for the mission, a a mind for the the lost, a mind which walks wisely towards them that are without. We're going to read it there in the text in a minute. So he's exhorting these Christians, you know, what does a mission-minded Christian look like? What What do we as a church need to be to be a lighthouse that leads souls to the Saviour? We as Christians must not be distracted by any number of things which try to distract us. I can give you some examples. You probably think of them on your own. But oftentimes, schoolwork keeps us from preaching the gospel. You say, well, parents, don't let your children tell you that Pastor Matt said they don't have to do this schoolwork. <clears throat> but if schoolwork is the most important thing, you're not a mission minded Christian. True. Family distract us from preaching the gospel family's important in fact it's you know marriage garden of eden god's plan for man and woman was is not good that man should be alone marriage is an honorable and a good thing but if your marriage and your family take your mind off the mission then you're a lighthouse that's not shining light out but you're shining light down and that doesn't warn people very well don't let the good things in life focus your attention away from the lost that's what the warning i suppose for us this morning is and paul's exhortation to the church at colossi is exactly that you need to live in such a way that your mind is on the mission god's given given you now if we jumped in here without looking at what we talked about this morning like i said we'd end up with empty legalism now you try and do all these things in order to shine the right way no the lord working in your heart through communion in the scriptures And a rejoicing zeal which God builds within you leads to these things. So this morning, as we read through the the characteristics of a mission-minded Christian, if you can think about your life and go, yeah, I can see that in me, I can see that, I can see that. And that's probably a good sign that you're walking closely with the Lord. Because when you are, this is what fruit is born. But if you read through these this morning and you think to yourself, I'm probably struggling with this and I'm not doing this and I'm really, I haven't done that for a long time. Then you probably need to think, reflect, search your heart, and see how closely you're walking with our Lord and Saviour. Um, I never, I've never been accused of preaching softly. I don't intend to stand on your toes, but I just want to look at what God says. And as a church here in Grafton, I know you want to shine for the Lord. I know you do. I know you want to see everyone in this street saved. And everyone down that walks down that main street of Grafen, I want, I, you want to see them in heaven. I know you do. There's not one of them that you would say, oh, not, not him. Lord, let's just leave him out of glory. He can go to hell. Would you? You wouldn't say that. But we want to shine in a way that makes it possible for them to hear the message. We want to live in a way that vindicates or validates, validates the message we preach. So, uh, what are we here to do? Right before Christ ascended into heaven, what did He tell His disciples? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Lights on a candlestick, candles on a candlestick, a city on a hill. That's what we must be. Let's have a look over in Colossians 4, please. What are the characteristics of a mission-minded Christian? What areas of life does Paul talk about? There's three that we'll look at today, Lord willing, for the sake of time. Firstly, our prayer life. Secondly, our daily conduct. And thirdly, our conversation. So our continual prayer, our conduct and our conversation. Let's jump in verse 2 and it's just right there, isn't it? Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Prayer how's your prayer life this morning How is your prayer life continued devotion in prayer is a characteristic of someone who's shining their light to the lost someone who has a heart for missions why well because christ encouraged and in fact commanded us to pray you see the early disciples they heard jesus teach plainly on these things he says don't pray like the pharisees you know they stand on the street corner and they they love the praise of man and they make these grandiose prayers, even with vain repetition like the heathen. And he says to his disciples, I, but I want you to pray in secret that your father which hears you will reward you. I want you to... <coughs> My voice is going to play So, Is this I water? Do you mind if I drink that glass? Is what it's there for? There's two and I wasn't sure which one I should have reached for. he taught jesus taught his disciples to pray he showed them an example of prayer didn't he how often do you read of jesus taking time out and going up into a high mountain apart and there praying and spending all night with the lord and the example that that struck in the mind of the believers that those disciples is very acute when they had an opportunity to talk to the lord they they said teach us to pray teach us to pray like you pray they saw it in him they heard him command it of them when you pray pray like this He also said you need to have faith when you pray, didn't he? In in Matthew 17, Jesus said, If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Faith. Prayer. Continual prayer. You look at the early church and the way it blossomed and the way it grew, and we understand from the the book of Acts that these believers continued what? Steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, in Fellowship, in Breaking of Bread and prayers. How's your prayer life this morning? Like mine? Probably it might lack a little bit. And you know it. You realise it. You talk to the older folks in your church, the, the likes of whom have been here for the 30 years, and you ask them about the role of prayer in their life. Young people, people my age, teenagers, you ask the older folks how important is prayer. And they will tell you without a doubt important it, is. it makes the difference what does it mean practically to continue steadfastly in prayer just like those apostles did they continued steadfastly in teaching in fellowship in communion together and in prayer what does it mean to be con- uh, continuing steadfastly well let's have a think about it you read it here in in the colossians 4 continue in prayer does that mean you can't stop yes and no but it means to have a habit continually daily, moment by moment, a habit of prayer. This is what Jesus said to his disciples, turn to Luke please, Luke 18 and we'll read a a little parable that he gave and here Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If this is true then how much more is it true of God? That's the argument he's making. Luke 18 verse 1, and he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end, why? That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Does that mean women don't have to? No. Right? We all, Christian, must always pray and not faint. And here's his, his, his argument, he's de- his defending his point, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men nevertheless when the son of man cometh shall he find faith on the earth this kind of faith when God comes back will he find Christians who pray without ceasing will he that's the question he asks he says even an unjust judge because he's being nagged by the widow he's going to act he doesn't fear God he doesn't regard men but even he will answer how much more will God if his people who he loves pray will he find this faith on the earth when he comes back interesting question isn't it i mean if the earth was full of people like me maybe not oh we need to grow don't we lord increase our faith lord increase our faith continual prayer intercessory prayer praying that god would intervene in a circumstance do you pray for your town do you pray for the people next door well not those people that way Do you pray for the people in your street? Do you pray for the people at work? Do you intercede before God continually? Not once every time you may remember, but make a habit of it. Because a lighthouse shining out to warn of impending doom would pray. Would pray continually. Faith that sees that unless they receive Christ, they go to hell. Unless they receive Christ, they go to hell will christ when he returns find this intercessory um, it's an importune prayer it's a prayer of importunity, this constant this ongoing incessant prayer will god find that in us because if he doesn't find it in us is he going to find it in our children there's a there's a challenge for me as a parent if i'm not a man of prayer that does this for my children probably not right? we need to make sure fathers we set this this example continual prayer we need to move because time will get away what other prayer can we what other elements about prayer can we see here in colossians 2 4 verse 2 continue in prayer and what's the word there Continuing prayer and watch watch in the same is your prayer watchful what does watchful mean there's some things we can talk about it's a prayer that's awake isn't it if you're watching in your prayer you're alert and you're you're on guard and you're you're awake to the issues remember the disciples in the garden of gethsemane what could you not linger a while could you not stay and pray Um, he says what was the word Couldst thou not watch one hour watchful prayer watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation the spirit truly is ready but the flesh is weak from mark 14 for many of us the thing that keeps us from devotion to praying for our, our lost neighbors and our lost community and is simply that we we love our sleep when have we ever stayed up and prayed it's hard to keep your eyes open when you start to pray, isn't it? It is. I'll be the first to tell you. If I am struggling to go to sleep, I'll pray. You know, like a lie. But then I think to myself, it's better to go to sleep praying than go to sleep wondering about what I should be doing. You know? And God knows we are but dust and we're frail. He remembers our frame. He knows who we are. He knows our weakness. He came back to those disciples a third time and he just said, sleep on. He knew what they were facing but i have habit of prayer to be awake and alert and sensing the impending danger alert is the next real thought not just awake physically and going through that special time that time in the closet of prayer but alert mentally thinking about how does your mind go when you pray does it wander like mine you start praying for something and you end up about five different thoughts over here somewhere else does that happen to you too we need to try to be alert and thoughtful when we pray vigilant watchful prayer is awake it's alert it's also vigilant it's aware of the issues do you know that there's an unsaved neighbor next door pray for him do you know that there's a wayward christian who lives down there a little bit further is really struggling you know about it you're vigilant to the need pray talk to the lord how do we develop it how do we develop vigilance now this is really simple you just ask people how are you going you know what they say? Typically, they say, "I'm going fine," and then you just kind of you realise that that's not the right answer straight away. But they're not going to tell you everything that's going on behind the scenes straight away. So they say, "How are you going?" And I say, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing all right." And then you might start a conversation about something else, and you get back around and say, no, "No, I just really want to pray for you. And I, I sense that there's something else going on." You know, people don't voluntarily talk to you about their problems. Very few people, unless they're real drama. You know, they love the drama. will go around telling everyone about all of their problems. The ones who need prayer, they bear it close deep, all right? And it takes someone who's vigilant to see it. You've got to be looking for that. Look for it amongst the brethren and pray for the needs. Look for it in your street. Imagine if people you know just went and knocked on the door and said, Oh, I'm just from the church up here and I'm just wondered how you're going and they'll probably say, Oh, I'm doing fine, go away. But you don't know unless you don't ask, unless you ask. So, anyway, watchful, prayer is awake, it's alert, it's vigilant. You know what the enemy to vigilance is? Apathy. You know what will stop you being vigilant? Just not caring about people. But if you actually care about them, then you'll you'll be vigilant and trying to look for ways you can pray. I hope that makes sense. If you're mission-minded, then that's, that's the key, paying attention to the needs. Um, and there's another element of our prayer. Uh, we need to be continual, we need to be watchful. What does it say there in verse 2? With thanksgiving i praise the lord giving thanks to the lord this morning for his goodness how thankful are your prayers a person who's not thankful rarely comes before the lord you notice that and when you're not thankful you don't pray when you are thankful you do god is good wise and in control and a person who understands that rejoices in all that the lord allows a lack of thankfulness quenches the work of the spirit A lack of joy uh, rejoicing a lack of appreciation for what god has done and who he is quenches uh, the spirit of prayer quenches the work of the holy spirit let's move quickly through these other elements but there's some other things we can pray for it needs to be continual it needs to be watchful it needs to be thankful but as you read verse three you see him building this thought with all praying for us so paul is encouraging the believers of colossi to pray for him do you pray for springwood i hope you do we need your prayers because without prayer without God working in us and using us, then it's all for naught unless the Lord build the house they that labour labour in vain we pray for you, all right? we pray for churches of like faith and practice and we pray for missionaries around the world who are preaching the gospel faithfully, Paul is calling Christians to pray for him so I'd ask you this morning, pray for us and I'll commit to you that we'll pray for you it's a good thing to do to be praying for brothers and sisters in the Lord but why? what's the next bit of the verse it's good to pray you can pray that i would you know win the lottery and that'd be a miracle because i don't enter it but that's not really what god's talking about is it he's not saying pray for the church up at springwood that they'd inherit a million dollars and build a fancy big building like what a waste of time that is but pray how with all praying for us that god would open unto us a door of utterance is that not a blessing when you're praying for Springwood pray that the lord would open a door that we might speak what the mystery of christ it's right there the gospel the unveiling of the person of the son of god do you pray for that do you go about your week do you leave here on a sunday do you go home and think to yourself lord please open a door of utterance that i may proclaim christ to someone this week you know what happens if you do that by the way he does that Then you've just got to be faithful to step through the door that he opens up and says it's right there matt it's the same as it was last week you just don't want to do it but i keep opening it isn't that the truth paul says pray for me that god would open a door of opportunity that i may preach the mystery or to speak the mystery of christ for which i am also in bonds that's why paul's in prison he's bound while he's in bonds pray for open doors to preach the gospel This is what Christ, through John, was talking about in the book of Revelation with the Church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3, verse 7. And under the angel of the Church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. You know what happens when God sets a door before us, we don't walk through it? We're denying his name. We're not taking the opportunity to proclaim his name. And God is saying, go, share, tell, testify, do what I've saved you to do. Be a witness. Shine for me. Christ is the one who opens and closes doors. Um, I believe with the Church of Philadelphia, these open doors were probably opportunities for, for missions and evangelism and, and reaching out with the gospel message. Um, first corinthians 16 paul said this but i will tarry at ephesus until pentecost for a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there and there are many adversaries all understood what it was for god to open a door so it led him to ask for people to pray for open doors and i i would encourage you to pray for opportunities to talk to your family about the lord those unsaved family members those workmates your friends at school or your, your colleagues at school whoever it may be pray for an opportunity an open door to preach the gospel to pray for others but let's move on in verse 5 and see where Paul's thought leads us um, oh sorry verse 4 we could skip it but we shouldn't verse 4 that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak you see even Paul the great preacher I mean Paul was so bold you march him into a city straight to the straight to the synagogue, he'd proclaim Christ and he'd divide the town. Half of them would want to kill him, half of them want to rejoice in him. That Paul is asking people to pray for him, that he would preach the word truthfully. See it there? Pray for me, open doors of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, why I'm in prison, that I may make it manifest, that I may you know, expose it and, and broadcast it as I ought to speak, as I should. Prayer. Prayer for others. Pray for the gospel. Pray for open doors. Let's move on to our conduct because what we say needs to line up with what we do. It's no good just to say it, to pray for it. But here in verse 5, he tells us to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Be wise in the way we act towards unbelievers. That's what he means by outsiders, them that are without. It's, it's not people who live outside the city, you know, the, the country people. It's not talking about people outside the little social group. He's talking about those outside of Christ. And Paul, in the church, to writing to the Ephesian church, he talked about Gentile unbelievers as those that are without Christ, without hope and without God in the world. Paul here is exhorting this church of Colossae to be wise in the way they approach unbelievers. They walk in wisdom, that they would walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Wisdom in this context involves choosing the right, the best, the most appropriate course of action in order for others to see and to know Christ. Walk wisely. Now you might say, and why I say this, and it's, it's kind of important, if I'm walking wisely towards a group of people, how do I use this instruction? To be careful. Say there's a group of, you know, a gang of young people that are armed with guns. To give you an extreme example, but up in Logan it's probably true. So a group of young people armed with guns, and they're threatening to kill Christians. Or threatening to kill people. And you can choose to walk towards them wisely to save your life, and the wise course of action to save your life is to run, isn't it? You don't go to them at all. The wise save your life, save your own skin, is to have nothing to do with them. But the wise action leads them to see the glory of Christ may be something completely different and it might involve risking life. I'm not calling you to do anything foolish and don't approach gangs with guns but I want you to see that what is wise is not always what is best for us but it's about what's best for the gospel and for God's glory. And Sometimes that hurts us, doesn't it? Sometimes it means risking your safety or your, you know, your honour or your reputation or your money or Might say, Oh, it's foolish to give you know this fellow a car who's just been coming to church, he's gonna rip you off. Well, so what? It might be wise in the sense of eternity. So we've got to see what's really wise. So walking in wisdom towards them that are without, in the context of sharing sharing the gospel. So what does it mean? How do we walk in wisdom towards them that are without? And there's a real First Timothy chapter four, please. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. One verse I want to read, and I'd like you to read it too. 1 Timothy 4:16. And this is the most simple and obvious and easy, but it's also some, one of the most difficult things. And the point that I see here in the text is that as Christians, to walk wisely towards the lost, we need to live an authentic Christian life. We need to walk the talk. That's it. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. The wisest thing you can do to those around us is to walk the talk. To make sure your, your doctrine matches yourself. And you say, Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them, that they may, you may save yourself and save them that hear you. Paul could have said, if you don't watch your life and your doctrine you'll destroy your hearers that's the opposite isn't it take heed to yourself watch yourself and your doctrine that they may be saved if you don't then they'll be lost how many people have been turned away from church because of christians doesn't that hurt a christian who's selfish and a christian who's you know loves the world and or even non-believers caught up in a church system how many people say i'm not going to church it's full of hypocrites i know it is we are, if we're honest with ourselves. But doesn't it hurt to see someone justifying their sin and justifying their rejection of a Saviour who loves them because we are living in a particular way that brings His name to disreproach. into reproach. We need to walk the talk. The wisest thing you can do in your workplace, your school or around your unbelieving acquaintances is to be, be authentic, to not be a Sunday Christian. How much does it hurt? You say you're a Christian, you go to church, and then Monday at school, it's completely different. I talk to teenagers up in Springwood, and they are struggling with this, and it's hard, and they know it. There's one young fella, and I won't tell you his name. Um, He goes to Woodridge High School. I don't know whether you know the area. Woodridge is pretty, the school's pretty rough. And he told his mates that he's a Christian, and he had a Bible in his bag. You know what they did? They grabbed his bag, they tore his Bible up, and they just pushed him out of the hall and threatened to beat him up because he was a Christian. So he comes to me that Friday night, all right? He says, I don't know how I can stand up for the Lord at school because they're going to beat me up and every time they find I've got a Bible in my bag, they tear it up. You know what I encourage him to do? Shine as a light in that place. You know, I know what I'm asking him to do. Like, he can turn tail and run. He can duck and say, I'm not a Christian, but that's to deny the Lord who bought him. Like, I know I'm calling him to a high, if this is a cost he's going to pay, and he's going to be bullied for it but what alternative do you and I have as Christians? To deny the Lord, to deny the gospel, to deny who we are, to be one thing at youth group at something different Monday at school? And he knows it. And he's praying and he's doing it and those boys have not let up, right? But they will not ever accuse him of being a hypocrite. Will they? Say, no, you. we might hate what you're doing, we might hate what you say, but we cannot accuse you of being double-minded. And it's hard. I don't have to fight that kind of persecution. And I'm 35, 36, he's 13, 14. It's hard. But what alternative do we have if we've got a mission-minded focus? We must. We must be filled with the Spirit. Over in Ephesians, and a lot of the times Colossians and Ephesians, they cover some similar ground, don't they? Similar themes, similar similar phrases, even that Paul uses to both churches. But Ephesians chapter five verse 15 here he says then see then that she walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit filled with the spirit you see some of the similar themes that Paul's talking about to this church walk wisely here he's saying walk circumspectly redeeming the time we'll look at that in a moment Um, here he goes on to say be filled with the spirit we must we must we must pray yield surrender and allow god's spirit to indeed fill us and oftentimes we neglect this you think about the old testament um, men of god joseph what was his testimony before the people pharaoh said can we find such a one as this a man in whom the spirit of god is you know what those bullies are going to say about this young man this man there's something different about this man in whom the spirit of god dwells daniel was known as a man in whom the spirit of god dwelt i wonder do we does the world notice something about us they should they should this isn't a one-time experience this feeling of the spirit this is something constantly yielding to the lord and it's manifest in all these weird things that the Pentecostals talk about. Being filled with the Spirit is is simply yielding, surrendering and allowing God to use us for his purposes. Verse 5 we see here in Colossians. Turn back there please. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. 32 years. God may give you unlimited love and mercy and grace but he does not give us unlimited time. We only have so many minutes before the Lord comes back or we are ushered through the veil a limited time to do what God has called us to do make the most of it here what Paul is talking about is that we need to be conscious of opportunities to share the gospel to encourage someone in their faith that's what it means to redeem the time the word time is not the word chronos chronos is chronological time you know time where the the clock keeps spinning around and time just keeps on rolling It's the word kairos, it means opportunity. Redeem those times of opportunity. God opens a door, you better step through it. That's a kairos, an opportunity that you must redeem. You see what Paul's saying here? saying if you're a mission-minded Christian, you must pray for opportunities, you must walk wisely towards them that are without and thinking of the gospel first and foremost, and you must take the opportunities it gives. Don't you hate it? And I speak from personal experience when you sense an opportunity that passes you by and you feel the conviction about it later on you think that fella that the Lord brought through the doors was someone he wanted me to talk about Christ to and oh it hurts when you realise that you let it go yeah don't keep doing that if you ever feel that conviction make sure you get the next one redeem the next one because there's only so many only so many before we'll be off in glory people around us go through decisive critical moments there are you know turning points or crossroads in people's lives and the lord who is sovereign is is working all of this together he's doing it for his glory and he uses us in the process so there's our first two things continual prayer our conduct but let's just lastly consider our conversation when i say conversation i mean our words right, the things we say verse 6 let your speech be always see, uh, with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The final characteristics we're going to talk about to, today, godly speech. Proverbs 17, 27, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. You know when someone preaches really, really long? This is a great verse to quote. He that spareth his words has knowledge there's truth in it by the way i i love listening to men who've known the lord for a long time preach they have an uncanny ability to preach deep spiritual truth in 25 minutes and you don't feel like anything's missing you don't feel like anything's it's just like it's diluted and it's it's like not diluted it's the other way it's distilled all right the essence is there and it's precious and it's it's applicable and it's to the point and there's none of these superfluous words like i end up end up using yeah One day, Lord willing, I'll have knowledge and spare my words. But oh, when we're walking towards those that don't know Christ, we need to be careful with what we say. Ecclesiastes 5.3, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. That's another good one for long preachers. When you come up to Springwood, you can tell me that. Proverbs 10 verse 19 In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. You see what we're getting at here? A wise person with knowledge and understanding is careful with what they say. Few words, carefully chosen, to give optimum effect. And I don't want to sound like a business coach here. God will judge us by the words, by our words, and so will the world. The world watches and listens what does the speech of a mission-minded Christian look like we see it here walk in wisdom towards them that are without verse 6 let your speech be always with grace always full of grace unmerited favor the words we speak we should seek to give people what they do not deserve we should seek to bless to edify to build up to give mercy even when others have hurt us um, Ephesians 4:29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Same thought. Full of grace. Weigh our words carefully. Ask ourselves: Are these words corrupt? How many times do you get dragged into corrupt communication? I used to, when I was working in in secular work and around unsafe people, and as a new Christian you end up going home thinking, why did I even enter into that conversation? Why did I just not run for the door? Corrupt communication. Are these words necessary? Are they careless, idle? Will they edify? Will they impart grace? These are the kind of questions we need to ask about our words. A mission-minded Christian is seeking to impart God's grace. So firstly, always with grace. Secondly, seasoned with salt. We're going to move quickly. Time is, is up. What does it mean for one's words to be seasoned with salt? Just as we conclude. Salt is a metaphor for many things in the Scriptures, but there are some that that apply to our speech very well. Salt is valuable, isn't it? The Roman soldiers were paid in salt; it was their salary. That's where we get the phrase "salary." Salt was precious, so much so that wars were fought, won, and lost over access to salt. Very precious. We need to make sure our speech is just the same. Precious, valuable, not flippant words. Salt's a preservative. Um, Without a refrigerator, meat is preserved through the use of salt. salt would keep food from decaying and rotting and in that secular workplace a Christian there who speaks carefully and has their word seasoned with salt will, will tend to purify right, and preserve the conversation not always, it doesn't always work but the world's conversation is full of cursing, complaining and gossip but our words act to preserve it salt heals that's why you go for a swim in the salt water of the sea to cleanse a wound that might sting but it, it heals reminds me of a verse doesn't it faithful to the wounds of a friend if you're not willing to wound your friend when they're going astray in order to heal them are you really a friend words with grace seasoned with salt are words chosen sometimes that hurt and sting that they bring about healing hopefully the surgeon's scalpel not the butcher's knife and I probably haven't learned that lesson either. The last thing I want us to think about when it comes to salt is salt makes you thirsty. You just had a handful of salt and you sprinkled it on your tongue. What would you be looking for next? A glass of water. Now, the way we speak ought to cause other people to thirst. Is this up there? him, does the thirst come? Christ wants the world to be thirsty for him, And he wants our words seasoned with salt that they may thirst after him That is only available through him. Jesus answered and said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You remember this? You drink this water, the woman at the well, Samaritan woman at the well, you drink of this water and you'll thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Does your speech make people thirsty? My Dana's sister. Actually, was it you that went to your your sister's church? Dana, when she was an unsafe teenager, went to her sister's church up in Stafford. She was there as a teenager. Her old sister had just come to know the Lord. Her husband as well, they were there. And Dana went to church. She was invited along. She went in there and there was just something about these people. And she, she left going, what is it about these people? What do they have? What makes them different? There's something that i want right? and a sister wisely said that's the holy spirit working in us and that left dana with a thirst right? with a they have something i don't have and i want that you know authentic christianity lived before the world does that wise words do that godly living does that that the world around us may desire thirst after the lord jesus christ we have a mission-minded focus. Continual prayer, conduct where we walk in wisdom towards the lost, and words that speak grace and healing. Salty, that's the wrong phrase. Words seasoned with salt. I trust that's true. And I hope it is for you, I hope it is for me, and I hope it will be for many more years, as the Lord allows us to continue to serve Him here in clarence valley and also up there in spring so we thank you we thank the lord for his word to us let's pray father we pray that you would help us for we need your help we have a task that you've left us to do a task that we often neglect and we as lighthouses along the shore point our lights in different directions lord help us to warn the lost of judgment to come help us to to be quick with a wise answer help those around us to know the truth that it is appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgement help us to warn help us to not just warn with our lips but to be consistent in our walk that our lives may reflect that warning Lord help us to be authentic Christians not just Sundays not just Wednesdays but all the time that you and please also open doors for us, open those those kairos moments of opportunity that we may may see the opportunity to preach the gospel or to, to just water a seed that's been sown many years ago, Lord, to, to aid in the work that you're doing in hearts and lives. We know that one sows another waters, but God gives the increase. So I pray that we would take those seasons of opportunity and be faithful to you. We thank you once more for the church here at Grafton. We just praise you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your, your Holy Spirit working in hearts and lives over many years. We may it continue We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Davies.